tonight. We want to take a little time to review um, very quickly how we got to where we are in Revelation. Um, we have looked through the... It's good to get the right book. We've looked through the uh, events of the first six seals. We saw that with the breaking of the sixth seal, we had a cataclysmic global event uh, within which, within the context of which, all men on the earth saw the Son of Man in the clouds. Uh, and wanted to hide from him. In the midst of that, uh, we have a trumpet sound. Uh, we have God sending his angels to gather the elect from the four corners of the earth. We found in Matthew 24. Um, but prior, just prior to that, hold on a second. Um, we have one thing to get done. We had the ceiling of 144,000 to set them aside for a very unique ministry during a very difficult time. The first half of the seven years of the time Jacob's trouble. And then once that is accomplished, the next uh, thing that we see is a group of redeemed individuals arriving in heaven in chapter 7, verse 9. And we took, uh, two weeks ago, we took some time to talk about uh, the event of the rapture of the catching up of the church. We saw that really in Matthew, uh, as well as Thessalonians, other passages. Uh, we didn't focus our attention on Revelation because it really assumes that event. It assumes the event uh, in the context of knowing the content of uh, Matthew and of the Lord's teaching, as well as the other apostles' teaching. We then come to uh, last week, and we talked about who was going to be participating in this entourage arriving in heaven. And we examined their description to really determine if this is genuinely the church or if it is some other group of redeemed individuals. And our conclusion, pretty definitively, was that this is the church. It must be. It must be the church arriving in heaven. It cannot be defined as a group of saints that have come to Christ in a very short period of time at the front end of the uh, judgment of God on the earth. But rather it is referring to a body of saints that is drawn from the entirety of the church age uh, that have before them this song, uh, the song of the Lamb, who are clothed in white, clothed in righteousness, who are part of the uh, victorious uh, parade, if you will, the, the presentation of, of uh, the people of God before uh, the throne of God. And uh, remember, we saw them clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hand, crying with a loud voice. So we saw the description of them. We looked at their song um, and the response of the angels to their song. So their statement was, Salvation uh, to our God who lives, sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The angels respond, Amen. So be it. That's true. Truth is there. That you are the ones who have received salvation from the hand of God. And therefore, thanksgiving, honor, might, and power should be to God. Forever and ever. Um, the question was, who are these? And uh, that was answered. And we talked about the Great Tribulation not being the time of Jacob's trouble, that the Great Tribulation is referring to the church age. That was the Great Tribulation. That was the period that Christ said, this is what you will experience at the hands of men. The Tribulation consistently in God's Word is what, what the church uh, receives from the world. This is how we are treated. This is what how we are uh, maltreated, I should say, uh, with tribulation. And so that is consistent with what Christ stated in Matthew 24. You will experience this. The end is not yet. Um, 
you must endure uh, to the end. And so uh, we have to endure that tribulation. So it's referring to these individuals. Um, and then it describes their location, their, their, their purpose, uh, their reward. And the reward is lined up perfectly with exactly what God uh, promises the church. He doesn't promise Israel this reward. This is the reward for the church. That they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple in a very confined area. And that's a weird statement to say, a confined area, because um, it's heaven. It's pretty expansive. But in terms of what we're going to see later on, this is a, this is a, a confined area compared to the broader uh, view of heaven, which hopefully is going to shatter your concept of what heaven is or isn't um, and uh, what's going to be entailed in the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, all of that. But essentially, we have a group that no one can number in this one region, one area, that is described as the, the throne of God, the temple of God. And so we begin to understand that scale is different <laughs> when we get to heaven, right? So when I say a confined area in heaven, the, that's an area that can hold an innumerable number of saints. Uh, and so our scale is going to be different. When we get to the New Jerusalem, we're going to understand scale is totally different. This thing is mammoth. Um, it's the size of a moon. Um, almost, it seems. And so, when we talk about scale in terms of heaven, we talk about smaller things, we're, we're really talking about really something very expansive from our perspective, and yet from the heavenly perspective, it's a, it's a immediate area around the throne and, and within the temple of God. And remember that uh, we look at a very small temple, a very small tabernacle on earth is a reflection of the perfect temple of God in heaven, that uh, Moses was allowed to see the temple of God in heaven as a pattern for what he would have to uh, give direction for instruction for building uh, on earth. And again, just in miniature, if you will. And so we find them there uh, that they are going to dwell with, they're going to serve with him, uh, they're going to be there before him, and he is going to uh, dwell among them. And so we looked at the, that description of the people and we determined, that, well, that has to be the church. And so based upon all of the correlations, we really came to that conclusion. We're really talking about the church's arrival in heaven, that process beginning with the sixth seal, the global uh, catastrophe that's going to hit within which Christ is seen, within which um, the rapture occurs and that we arrive in heaven ready to receive our reward. And tonight I want to talk uh, way too briefly about your reward, and then I want to press on into chapter 8 a little bit. But before I do so, let's go Lord in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you again for your word before us and the sure hope of its promises, because he who has promised is faithful. And Lord, we know that because of that, um, there is surety here. And we rejoice in that. And Lord, we help, pray that you might help us to remember the sureness of your sacrifice and salvation, also the sureness of uh, your promises, of your reward. And we look forward to it. And we know that the time is nearing. It is drawing uh, closer and closer. And so we pray that we might be faithful to endure as you have instructed us to uh, be out from among the world and to be separate, to uh, be discerning and also to be about your business until your coming. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, a very quick study. We're going to have a fuller study, really, of heaven when we get to the latter chapters of, of uh, Revelation. Um, but we have a little introduction into what uh, is set aside for the church and what it will be like for us. And I want to take a few minutes to really look at that. And again, with the expectation of spending more time, um, Lord wills, for us to study it uh, later on. But we have this description of what we will experience when we get to heaven. And uh, we saw the arrival of the people uh, back in verses 9 and 10. And the shout of victory and salvation of our Lord. We see the palm branch. We see the arrival events. And now we're going to see, okay, what is awaiting for them? What is their experience when they get there? Uh, we have identified people as the church. Now, what is the church looking forward to? Uh, what are you looking forward to upon your arrival to heaven? What is your expectation? Uh, and God's Word has somewhat to say about that. Not extensive information, um, but sufficient information for us. And so we find that, uh, uh, just to back up, we do have a place. And uh, we think about uh, a mansion just over the hilltop. Uh, we talk about uh, the streets of gold and things like that. And we're going to look at more at that later on. Um, but, but a particular concern is that we have a place uh, in the presence of God. And fundamentally, that is the definition of heaven, to have a place in the presence of God. Um, wherever that be. But, but particularly, Christ's promise is that when I come again, I'll receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. That there is a, a, an intimate presence, that there's a closeness that we will... And so, Revelation describes that as that, that we're going to be with him day and night in his temple, which is a confined area, a heavenly expanse. Um, and uh, he's going to dwell among us. There's a, there's a permanence there. There's an intimacy there uh, that really Israel isn't ever promised. Israel has a different set of promises, and they're going to be fulfilled in heaven, but in a, a, but in a, a, a different way. And, and our promise is, is specific, that we will be in this proximity to Christ all the time, day and night, that we will be in this one location, and, and we're going to identify later on as the New Jerusalem, as our inheritance. And so the first thing we find out is we have a place waiting. We have a place that has been prepared for us. We have a place that, that is in proximity to God, to His throne. And the throne is the place of reigning. The temple is the place of worship. And so we are there to reign and worship Him, and with Him, and, and, and before Him. And we have that that locale, that uh, uh, nearness to him as Christ promised to his disciples and to his church. And so we have a place. We also have a provision. And uh, in verse 16 it says, They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. Uh, so the first half of that we have a provision. And we're going to see when we get to, to the latter two chapters uh, how that provision occurs. But what is sufficient for us to know is that not only do we have a place, we have a provision. God has made uh, a, a table. <laughs> he has made a place for us uh, at, at His banqueting table. Um, and that we will not experience hunger and thirst any longer. That, that, that those fleshly uh, experiences that are the result really of sin um, 
aren't going to be present anymore. Does that mean we aren't going to eat? Well, we are going to eat, but we're going to eat freely. Uh, and we are going to um, not have to sit down to three meals and wait to your, you know, that, that concept is going to be gone. Um, and so we're going to have this provision. And I want to just share with you that I don't believe this is just a physical provision. Obviously, we have new bodies, and the new bodies will function very similar to these. Um, there are some differences we're fully aware of, um, but those new bodies are going to eat and uh, drink. They're going to participate in, in, with voice, and, and so we, we have a certain expectation there. But uh, it's also not only a physical provision, but it's a spiritual one. Um, and, and rather than choosing one or the other, I, I, I'd prefer to take both. That we are neither going to be hungry or thirsty physically, and nor are we going to be hungry and thirsty spiritually. Uh, that there isn't, that there's going to be this satisfaction that, that's ongoing. Now, does that mean that we will arrive in heaven and know everything? No. Um, we say those terms, oh, we'll, we'll figure it out in heaven. Um, unfortunately, most people who say that are referring to prophecy. We'll know it when we get to heaven and God will explain it all to us then. Well, it's too late, okay? If you haven't figured out prophecy till you get to heaven, uh, you're in trouble because you're probably not going to get to heaven. Uh, prophecy is that critical to understanding the gospel and, and it's that critical really to your Christian life and experience. And so uh, that, that's just a... a Excuse not to study Scripture that somehow nobody can know, um, well, then we shouldn't call the book Revelation. We should call the book um, um, hide, Hiding, you know, the book of Hiding. Because uh, this is a book to reveal, to show, not to hide the, the information. So the expectation of God is that we'll know this. So there's going to be spiritual provision there um, where we will be in this constant state of discovery um, without this thirsting, that, that it's come to us in trickles. And, uh, and if we're honest, that's really how our spiritual discovery here is. It, it's, there's a fullness. There, there's no doubt about it. I don't want to shortchange God's Word or the Holy Spirit's ministry to us now in this time and in, in this realm. Um, but there is a limit to it. It's limited by our experience. It's limited really by our faith. It's limited by the environment we place the Holy Spirit within, uh, in us, um, that the environment we create around Him and His, uh, that limits His ability to minister to us. Uh, it's limited by our uh, darkened uh, mental faculties that is a result of sin. And so um, there is a, a facet of our spiritual knowledge that is um, dissatisfying. That we always end up with questions. Um, and the spiritual provision that we're looking at, this meat, this drink, um, is, is that which is going to be fully satisfying um, even while we are in the process of increasing in it over that time. Um, and there is going to be time in heaven. Time does not go away. It doesn't cease to exist. And we're going to see that. And even here, we still have day and night going on, not just during the seven years of the outpouring of God's wrath, but really all the way into the new creation, day and night is going to continue, except for those in the new Jerusalem. And so we find that not only do they have, not, do they have um, 
no hunger or thirst. Um, the other experience that they're going to have is uh, that they're going to have protection. So we have a place, we have provision, we have protection. Um, there's not going to the sun's not going to strike them, nor do heat. Um, it doesn't mean that heaven's a cold place. <laughs> it, it essentially, again, spiritually, there's not going to be that that uh, pressure upon us, that that uh, uh, suffering. There there won't be that fire of of uh, persecution. It, it won't be there. And so our experience in heaven is going to be one of perfect uh, place in nearness to God, perfect provision, both spiritually and physically, and a, a perfect um, protection that we will have this place where we will not uh, have harm come to us, either physically or spiritually. Um, that That is our promise from God. And then verse 17 uh, again, we have the shepherding lamb. We talked about that a bit last week. Where the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will shepherd them, lead them to living fountains of water. And again, that there's eternal life. There's no death. Um, there's the direct leadership of God. Um, and then, of course, the last phrase. Um, some made a lot of, and, and I've referenced it many times, I think, in my ministry. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that is that they will arrive... And there will be a, a while there, we're in a victory setting, there's also a remembrance. The idea that we're going to get to heaven and not remember anything of this existence, um, it, it just isn't an accurate uh, thing, especially when we get into chapter 8, but rather it's going to come forward. And remember that we already have a group described in heaven who remember fully how they got there. Remember? How long till you judge those who spilled our blood. They have full recall of what happened at their death. And so the idea that some of you are going to get to heaven and all your memories are going to be erased and uh, or you'll only remember good things um, really is contrary to God's word. Um, what would produce tears among those that arrive? Well, if they are tears of joy, uh, as some describe, I don't see why God is wiping them away. Uh, these are tears that are genuine, that are mourning. Uh, what is there to mourn when you arrive in heaven? Uh, I think once we see all that God has provided for us, that place, that, that provision, that protection, uh, I think we're going to realize, boy, He's done so much for us and I have done so little for Him. I have so little to bring um, that is so minuscule. Uh, I, I wasted so much and so many opportunities to serve Him, to uh, please Him. And now these are the tools by which I will be uh, worshiping Him. And uh, I think there's going to be a mourning. Uh, some describe the, the source of the tears by the realization of who's not there. Now, I'm not going to discount that um, uh, completely, but I will just share that I, I don't, hold to that. I hold to that first one. Um, the reason is because we will understand the fairness of uh, God's offer. That he had an offer to all men to receive Christ as their Savior. And those loyalties you have right now to um, your close family members, the people that you love and care about, um, and you're going to say, oh, I get to heaven if they're not here, I'm going to cry. Um, I don't see that. I see... Um, a realization that uh, 
they of necessity must be judged for righteousness to uh, be fulfilled. That they have what they have earned and deserve. And uh, is there a possibility of that aspect? Perhaps. Um, But I don't find that that attitude really shared anywhere in Scripture. Um, The ones who are mourning in Scripture are the ones that are not in heaven, that are on earth. And uh, if you remember the rich man Lazarus, um, you don't find Lazarus crying for the rich man at all. He was receiving what his desserts were. And you don't find Abraham um, showing him any mercy, any pity at all. It's like, you know, you got what you have. Um, and uh, your brethren, if they don't respond, are going to get what they deserve all the way through. And so I, I don't emphasize that. Um, if you want to hold to that, that's fine. But uh, I prefer to put the personal responsibility that we're going to see all of this. We're going to be overwhelmed by all that God has done for us and then respond um, with some mourning that we uh, who have been granted so much have been so unthankful and unholy in response to God and that we have brought so little to Him. But for whatever Others talk about that they are dealing with uh, the cruelty and harshness which they endured. Um, And again, uh, I just don't see that consistently in God's Word, that that's something that we uh, focus our attention on. Certainly, uh, it does correlate somewhat with the cry of the martyrs before the throne. Uh, How long until you judge uh, and avenge the blood? Um, but that doesn't seem to have a spirit of mourning as much as a spirit of uh, just retribution. So we come now uh, to this experience that we're looking forward to. This is our place, our provision, our protection. Uh, This is our promise. This is our hope um, for the church, and we look forward to it. Uh, And once we arrive in heaven now things can start happening. And I want you to understand that is that uh, the, the seventh seal hasn't been broken. We are still in the, the preliminary church age period of time. The seventh seal is going to bring it to a conclusion. And uh, again, we have a chapter break here, but I want you to understand that our arrival in heaven and, and receiving of our inheritance precipitates the end. It precipitates now. There's nothing holding God back from completing the, the age of men on earth. Uh, we're going to see the uh, outpouring of his wrath. And we're going to look at what comes with us. Uh, with our arrival in heaven, now uh, it is time to break the last seal. Certainly the time frame between the sixth seal breaking and the seventh seal breaking is very small, Right? Because it doesn't take that long. It doesn't take that long um, to uh, have the cataclysm, have the science on a man, the 144,000, the rapture of the church, the arrival of the church into her reward in heaven, um, the the victory celebration that's described here. And we are now moving directly uh, to 
Um, chapter 8, verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about a half an hour. And so there's this victory hurrah when we get to heaven, you know, praise to God, amen, amen. We have all this celebration. And, uh, but our arrival in heaven, that we get to be the audience to the breaking of the seventh seal. That we get to see the conclusion of this intermediate time between Christ's death, or really Christ's resurrection, ascension. We get to, we, we've now witnessed the, the time between the resurrection and ascension of Christ and the end of the church age. That we are now in heaven being able to witness its close. And it closes with the breaking of the seventh seal. That at this point, the scroll is ready to be opened. We've gotten there. We've celebrated. Christ now has his deed, if you will. Uh, the scroll representing his title to uh, the earth. That he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, he, and now he's going to break open this uh, last will and testament, if you will, this, this title deed to, to all things. Um, he has his, his people around him. He has the sealed 144,000 uh, that have a unique ministry there for a season. Um, but he is ready to now move forward. And very quickly, the seventh seal is broken. We're witnesses of it in heaven. Um, and this loud, boisterous, celebration of earth that we are seeing at the end of chapter 7 is suddenly silent. It is incredible uh, contrast that we have all this activity. We have uh, shouting and, and singing and we have all of this activity and we have all this, this, uh, this glorifying God. We have, we have the declarations that are going on and suddenly now the seventh seal is broken and we're introduced to something that I just can't find anywhere else in the Bible. It is that unique a thing that I can't find it ever portrayed, ever described, ever happening. Whenever people go to heaven, it is a loud, active place. There is praising, there is singing, there is, there is action, there is declarations. Uh, we just don't find uh, this anywhere in the Bible. We don't find it in Job when Satan has to present himself with the sons of men before God. We don't find it there. We don't find it when Isaiah shows up because it's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Um, this, heaven is a noisy place that all voices are giving praise to God and, and we have the declarations of God going forth. Um, and so we find uh, that here is a critically uh, unusual thing. And I find most prophecy teachers just blow right by it and um, don't emphasize it at all. And I am emphatic in it. In emphatic is a form of emphasis, isn't it? <laughs> in it. Um, it needs to be paid attention to. Remember, we have been listening to what's going on in heaven. Not just watching, but listening. What have we been hearing? Well, every introduction into it says this singing is going on. This, this praise is going on. These shouts are being heard. This group are saying this. These people are involved in this. And, and over and over again, we have the, the martyrs under the altar. How long, how long? We have the, this entourage that arrives and, and shouts to the Lord's salvation. Um, belongs to our God who sits on the throne to the Lamb. Uh, we have the amens going on. We have all this... Uh, clamor almost, except that it's not because it is 
uh, attuned to God and, and, and perfect. And suddenly, dramatically, heaven is silenced. In a place that we have never heard silent is suddenly silent. The great party of our arrival has come to its close. And the seventh seal is broken and there's silence in heaven. And he even gives, it's so overwhelming and it's so radical that he even says, it gives us a time frame, about a half hour. And this wasn't just, uh, let's pause for one minute to uh, appreciate the, the breaking of the seventh seal. Oh no, this is dumbfounding that there is silence in them for half an hour. And the question is, why? What is going to produce this response? No amens, no hallelujahs, nothing from the martyrs saying, all right, let's get at it. No. Profound silence by every party in heaven, which includes all the church, all the martyrs, the, the four creatures, the 24 elders, the angelic hosts, everyone is silent. Even Christ himself. Silent. Well, what happens when you break the last seal of a scroll? I don't know about you, but the first thing I do is when I break the seal of the envelope, is what do you do? See what's inside. Right? Isn't that what you do? Or do you break the seal and set it down and think about it before I want to... Maybe that's if it comes from the draft board back in the day, but uh, <laughs> uh, pretty much you tear it open and you want to see what's inside. Let me get to what's inside there. Yep. That's essentially what just happened. The seven seals broken. I'm convinced the silence is the awe of what they have just opened. The scroll has, has now revealed. And while we describe um, while some have said, well, the scroll has been carefully unrolled a little bit at a time, one-seventh one at a time, and now we have the last little bit of it. Um, I just don't see that anywhere. I've shared that consistently. Uh, we now have an unopened scroll. The last seal is broken, and there it is. And all of heaven is confronted with what? This is what? the wrath of God for the end of the age is going to look like. This is God's plans. This is, this is how he is, he is going to cause every knee to bow and every tongue to confess. This is his judgment. This is his wrath. This is how far it goes. And I just want to share with you that as far as I'm concerned, this is the closest we will get to seeing it happen. Because it's not appointed for us to experience wrath and, and I go back to Noah, who says, don't even look on it. I think this description of it, seeing it within the scroll, um, is, and again, this is a little conjecture on my part, is almost heaven going, <gasps> that's what it is. That's what the contents of the scroll. We have, we have anticipated all this time, throughout all these, events of, of chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 is now 
thrust open with the breaking of the seventh seal, and heaven is just silenced at it. And we read the balance of this book, and we, and we think, well, we know what to expect because we have this book. But even as we read these, I don't think it, it settles upon us just how devastating this is and how necessary it is and how righteous all this is and how powerful all this is. Uh, It will settle on us then. And suddenly, we are confronted with just what is entailed in the outworking of God to bring to a close um, the age of sin and death, the age of, of, uh, of rebellion against him, that by the conclusion of the contents of that scroll, um, judgment will be enforced on men for eternity and, and reward will be enjoyed by, by others for eternity and the, and the new heaven and earth, the, the fullness of the plan of God is laid out and, and uh, I think it catches everyone. Not just catches our attention, almost catches us by, by shock, by surprise. Certainly some would consider that, well, the silence is just so that we can examine it and consider the contents of it. But this is too great a response <laughs> to just account for people reading. This is a response of people unsettled almost. This is an unsettled heaven. Um, for it to be silent for the first time ever where there's a sudden realization (gasps) when you're confronted with the contents of the scroll of God of his final judgments of his final decrees both of their wonder and of their terribleness of the awe-inspiringness of it um, and also the the profoundness of, of its necessity. I think it is so significant that it it warrants us understanding that we have just entered a new age. An age that begins with pure silence in heaven, which profound silence in heaven. That we cannot miss it. All the glorifying of God has ceased. Verbally, orally. You don't find people speaking, singing, shouting, nothing. They're just there in anticipation. And some say, well, it took that long to unroll the scroll. Maybe. Again, we we can interject a lot of ideas here. But we have to conclude with the study is that something huge has just happened to silence heaven for this period of time. And that is not just the last seventh of the scroll. It has to be the entirety of the scroll, which means that we haven't looked into it at all yet. This is the beginning of the end. We are in heaven. And now um, the way is cleared for God to finish it all. I want to remind you of the silence when Christ was on the cross when it was finished. Boom! And the darkness and all that. And that declaration. Um, and similarly here, it's a, there's a finality here that brings 
profound silence to heaven. And we have to know something has dramatically changed. We did not find any such thing happen at the uh, beginning of the, of the introduction of the breaking of the seals. We didn't have that. Um, rather, the profound excitement was a new song, remember? We changed from the old song of the Old Testament to a new song. Holy, holy, holy turned into praise of the Lamb that was slain. And the arrival of Christ in heaven was the profound event that just took this glory and, and expanded it to uh, encompass the work of the Lamb, which, which, which um, uh, <laughs> bettered the work of God in creation, is, is the new creation. And so, so we have that profound display uh, of Christ's arrival, which tells us a historical event. We know when Christ arrived in heaven. Well, now we have a, a totally different, profound event ar- happening in heaven, and it is the opening of the scroll with all the contents of what we are about to see displayed. Here's what's coming. And after a half hour, finally some activity. Seven angels stand before God. They're given seven trumpets. We're about ready to have uh, trumpet blasts start off. These are not trumpets like what we are called with. These are very different, as we're going to see. And so we're going to be looking at them more next week. Um, But in verse 3, it says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. There were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. With our arrival in heaven, and having received our inheritance, there is one facet at the earliest stages of this activity of the contents of the scroll that is directly linked to us from our earthly period. And I know this from our earthly period, not from our heavenly arrival, because the prayers and the incense have already been seen before we got there. And this idea that the prayers of the saints uh, are stored sometimes in heaven. Uh, Remember that Christ said that that if you meet the right necessary uh, conditions that every prayer is yes. Remember that? John 14, 15, 16. Anything you ask in my name, we'll give it. Uh, but there's a lot of ifs involved. If you do this, if you bear fruit, if you abide in me, if you love one another, if. There's all these conditions. That if we want to have real prayer life that's effectual and powerful uh, and moves God to action, uh, we have to meet those conditions. But once we meet those conditions in our praying, we'll always be filled with the will of God because we are abiding in Him. And therefore, what we are praying will be in accordance with that and they will always be answered in the affirmative. Always. Give us what we ask for. Well, among the things we're asking for is justice. It is seen in the statement of the martyrs. And in our prayers, when you are praying for justice, um, uh, that prayer is stored. I say, store, I want justice now, right here today. Well, then you got your reward, and it's over with. Um, 
no, a, a prayer for justice is one that they need to wait for the time of God's wrath. And so we find that, that uh, here we already, that the nations are going to be put under the wrath of God. They are going to be purged. They're going to be uh, wreak havoc upon. And what is the motivation? What is the, the, the thing that moves God to this first round of judgment are our prayers that went there ahead of us. We were already introduced to them. Remember, go back to chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 8 in Revelation. It says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elves fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So the prayers of the saints are already in heaven. They are in these golden bowls. They are waiting for that season where they will be poured out on the altar of incense and, and lofted up to God to move Him uh, to demand justice. When will justice against the nations, against the, the evil of this world, uh, come to fruition? When will those prayers be answered? Well, those prayers are going to be answered now. And so as we arrive, we get to see our prayers that we prayed before how they're handled in heaven. And here come the prayer of the saints to the golden altar of incense. Now, remember, we talked about Moses seeing something in heaven, having a portrayal of it on earth, and so we know where we are, right? You know the, the layout of the temple or of the tabernacle? You know the layout? Where's the altar of incense at? Class? It's in what room? Is it in the courtyard? It's in the holy place. Is it in the holy of holies? No. But remember, Christ tore down the veil between the holy of holies and the holy place. So we are in a combined holy holies and holy place. And it is there before the veil. And with the, if you consider the Ark of the Covenant being the throne of God, there was the altar of incense. And the high priest was the one that would offer up this sacrifice of incense, filling this room with this aroma and, and smoke. And we find that here in heaven there is such an altar. There's a golden altar which is in front of the throne of God. And what is going to be offered there that is going to move God to this first series of judgments is incense mixed with uh, the prayers of the saints. That all those prayers, oh God, be just. And if you want to know what kinds of praying that is, is it allowed? Uh, well, it is. Read the Psalms. You'll hear David praying those kind of prayers regularly. Lord, don't forget. Don't forget to judge that. Don't forget what these men said against you. Don't forget. Now, the exception to that for our praying, of course, um, is, Lord, don't forget, qualifier, if they don't receive you as Savior. You know, we do want God to forget the iniquity of those who trust in Him. And that's why I don't think we're crying about people being punished on earth because that's going to be the answer to our prayers. For justice, Lord, don't forget. 
But if they trust in you as Savior, we fully anticipate they're going to become a part of our number, that they are there, um, and they're similarly going to have those kinds of prayers. And it's okay to pray for them. Lord, if they never receive you, don't forget the, what they've done against your name, against your people, uh, against your word. Don't forget. And particularly when it comes to the nations. Don't forget what they have done. And we pray for justice to God. Uh, and we don't expect justice here. And I, I, do you remember when there was that big uh, hurricane that drowned New Orleans? And all these te- Bible teachers out there said, this is God's judgment on our nation. That is nothing compared to what we're asking for. Did that, did that bring our nation to its knees? Did we, did we come to national repentance? No. It was, it was, it was a sign. It was maybe, uh, you know, a, a, a pinch, a squeeze, I don't know, but it certainly wasn't judgment. Um, not to the fullness. It doesn't make up for it. And people were talking about, oh, there's a, this and that going on in New Orleans, and that's why God picked that place. And, and, uh, that, that is, God's justice is much fuller than that. Much more significant than that. And so the prayers of the saints, of asking God, don't forget. Bring justice. Avenge us. Judge these. Those prayers are stored to such a time when the close of the age of grace is done and none on earth will receive him any longer. None on earth will receive him any further. And hence it's time to listen to those prayers. And the prayers of the martyrs that we said, just wait, just wait, just wait, back there in chapter 6, now we're not waiting anymore. Now those are going to be fully heard. They're going to fill the room the throne room of God is going to be filled with this aroma of the prayers of God's saints begging for God to be just, for, to avenge, to remember. And it is that that will move him to action in this first round of his wrath that we're going to be looking at and begin looking at next week. But I want you to see how integral the church's arrival in heaven is with the uh, initiation of the end. That our arrival was necessary theologically so that it could begin. Um, We are now witnesses in it. We are participants in it, if nothing else, by our silence, but also by our prayers that the church and heaven now are, are united. And all that we pray about, sing about, think on, meditate on about heaven is now coming to fulfillment and we are now participating with Christ in His laying claim to the earth. And so we hear ruling and reigning with Christ. What is the first act of our ruling and reigning with Christ is participating in His laying claim to the earth by judging the nations. We are doing it with Him. How? By our prayers 
being offered before the altar that is the, the aroma that stirs him to wrath to initiate the first wave of God's justice, of his avenging of his saints upon the earth. And so we're tied into all of this. And we don't see that um, in chapter 5. The church wasn't there involved in that. The 24 elders were there. Um, the creatures were there. But we don't find a people of God and we find the prayers actually being being quieted. Just hold on to those. We're gonna, we'll, we'll put them someplace and the, the 24 hours are holding these bowls filled with the prayers of the saints. But they're held. They're, they're waiting. They're waiting. And now we find that we are fully engaged in heaven. Wasn't the case at the beginning of the seals, but it is the case when we get to the beginning of the trumpets. Because we've arrived. The victory parade has been accomplished. The, the, the soberness of realizing that we've gotten here and we bring so little with us um, is, is dealt with. The tears are wiped away. And now um, we take our place ruling and reigning with Christ, which begins by the breaking of the seventh seal, opening of the scroll. We are silent with all the rest of heaven. And then our prayers initiate it all. We are reigning with Christ from this point forward. And this is our expectation. This is our hope. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your word before us. The promises that are there and declared and made clear. And Lord, we, uh, we can't really fathom what is to come. You've described it and it is sufficient. Your description is sufficient for this age to warn us to flee from the wrath to come. And Lord, I pray that uh, you might keep that spirit within us as we study further in the weeks to come that it is necessary for us to take action and for others to do so as well to flee this wrath, to avoid it. And Lord, we pray that it might move us. But Lord, we also know that there needs to be justice. That evil is being perpetrated against your people on this earth today. It requires your hand to correct, to, to avenge. Lord, we pray for that day that it might come quickly. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.